Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Bobby Loveless. And I'm Clarence. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Not> Clarence. <laughs> I'm Clarence the Clarence dog. is joining us also. Awesome. Uh, book club member. No, I'm, I'm Danielle. Book club puppy. Book club puppy, that's right. <laughs> this is an all-Hellboy yeah. podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics, and every week we interact with our awesome listeners, and now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. No, I'm not. That's Craig McKnight's going to tell you all about it. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> you do it. Um, how does it go? There's, there's, there's books. And uh, um, you guys read them, and then you tell other people to read them, and then somehow there's this, this friendship thing happens out of some magical, you know, social media internet it's entity. So and then, you know, it's it's a book club. That was great. Awesome. Thank uh, you for doing that. Hey, happy birthday, Craig McKnight. Happy birthday, Craig happy McKnight. Happy birthday. Yeah, that's another hey. clip from our debriefing episode. We were so lucky to get Craig back on to talk about his experience reading Devil You Know, and I had to snag that little clip from him. So thank you so much, Craig, and happy birthday, happy man. Happy birthday. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Happy birthday, book club member. Book club member. Done such an amazing amount of work this week. You know, I don't think we talked about it. I think it was like 13,000 was the end number wow. of the buff raffle. That's awesome. Which was wow. more than previous two years combined. Yeah. You know, wow. so that's a monumental effort. So, yeah, Craig, we're always thinking about you. We love you so much. Go check out Muffin But Good Vibes on Facebook and Instagram. Buy some of their merch. Get to know the Muffin to- Man. Yeah, get to know the Muffin Man. They've got great <laughs> stuff. And, uh, yeah, I like their enamel pin, their shirts, and all that kind of stuff. And even if you're not in the San Diego area, you can still support Craig and all his efforts. I got a random series of shouts outs. Shouts outs. <laughs> random shouts outs. I got a shouts-outs to Ross Radke. Hey, Ross Radke. Book club member. Book club yeah, we got Stomped this week. We oh, got, we sure uh, did, yeah. Issue yeah. two of Stomped came in. All of our prizes came in. We were sharing those on social media. I love the little monster doodles he did yeah. when he signs the book on the inside there. He does a little monster doodle. Oh, I forgot to share great. mine. I got a really cool one, so I was really yeah. excited about that. Those are great. And oh, man. he did an amazing job with this Nimue commission that yeah. I put in, yeah. and uh, we posted that on social media, and I had only asked him to just do Nimue in the crown, and he did this he whole thing, you know what I mean? It, he man. just, like, he blew that out of the water. She looks great. By the, she looks fucking fantastic, but then he added that whole thing. Right, So that yeah. was, yeah, that was cool. And then Aubrey's great Abe Commission. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really great. That. Yeah, so we also shared that on our social he media. He had a great take on that. I love his wibbly-wobbly I love the fish look, yeah. coming oh, yeah. by, swimming by yes. the little school and stuff. Yeah, no, I, when I opened up the mail and I got, I looked at it, I was like, oh, my God, this is so much better than I thought it was going to be. And yeah, all I did was, uh, all I asked for was Abe after his mutation. <laughs> That's the go. thing is that Ross Radke really puts in just so much effort. Like, he goes... Not just the extra mile, he'll go an extra twenty fucking miles. Yeah, like yeah. his his yeah. commissions are way over the top awesome. I mean, like the two of you are saying, like I just asked for I was like, here are the characters that I would love to see you draw. And not only did he draw that, but like they are just the penultimate Yes. You know, <laughs> really, when you look yeah. at these characters and you see the sketch, you're like, This is the ultimate sketch of this character. Yeah, and those sketches also got a lot of love online. People really liked them, so yeah. yeah. He's way underpricing himself, so Go buy sketches while you still can, because eventually I feel like he's going to figure it out and start charging what he's actually worth. 
Oh, yeah. No, definitely. And you can check out issue one and two of Stomp. There's limited quantities of the physical copies available on Ross Radke's website. I'll put the link in the show notes to this episode. I also want to shout out Paul Azaceta. Shouts out Paul Azaceta, book club member. Yeah. Book club member. Yeah. From the BPRD 1946 series, Azaceta opened up his commission list back in November. I was really uh, lucky to be able to jump on there. And Ryan Yule, book club member, also jumped on there. And coincidentally, we both asked for a little Hellboy. Yeah, because that's right. he drew Little Hellboy in the 1940s series. I specifically asked for something with Mac in there. Right. So yeah, he drew Mac in there, and Hellboy's petting Mac with the right it hand. It looks of Doom. real good. It was so cool. Very cute. And, yeah. Um, and then Ryan got a great one as well, where he's eating the pancakes. Yes, very very cute. Yeah, I saw both of those. Those were really good. They look good. <laughs> I'm not sure who Chicken and Gorilla is Chicken on Instagram. Chicken and Gorilla on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Uh, member. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, they've been just uh, sending us a lot of love on social media, oh, so i got to shout them out. Yeah. And also Comics and Beer on Instagram Comics and beer on has Instagram. been uh, tagging us in a lot of really cool posts. So That's yeah, nice. thanks book everyone who, yeah, those are all book club members. And it's like, we have such a weird demographic because there's some people that just listen to the show... And then there's people that actually read the comics and listen to the show. <laughs> I would just like how I it's fine. I mean, yeah. it's fine. But like, that's totally cool. Whatever it is your thing. But I, I guess I just um, it's weird. If you want to be in a book club without reading the books, that is totally fine. I just I can't see doing that. I can't see us being interesting enough to just fucking listen to it <laughs> without having any context for what the fuck we're talking about. And, and I think it's fine. And then there's other people. I think a lot of people who just follow us on social media because they like the the art and the post that you're posting yeah. and the trivia and all that kind of stuff so. which i mean but you're always making double triple sure to credit the artists and send oh, yeah, actually yeah. send people over to their accounts specifically yeah, and be like yeah. hey go check out this yeah. artist go follow this artist so maybe people are discovering some cool artists that they like through your posts and that's awesome all the time I, people, I, all the time, people are like which comic is this that's which great. one is this yeah. i need to get this so so i'm always yeah. in support of hey you're all you're, the different people that interact you're exposing people to artists that they have never seen or maybe something like that so yeah so i really just appreciate that keep tagging us in those social media posts and giving us all that i want to thank at bdp media on twitter bdp media on twitter book club members on twitter (laughs) probably several book club members yeah they said started listening this week after spending a lot of the pandemic building a hellboy collection great work all okay yeah so thanks for sharing us on twitter oh thank you Great, and now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Get out, trade some floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along in time. Get we had a Hey You Damn Guys from West Matisse. West Matisse. Book club member. That's right. He said this may be later on this week's episode, but had to write a follow-up after the last episode with all the listeners on. Getting the listeners on the show was epic and may have been my favorite episode yet. It was awesome to hear the voices of people who have written in, and I am grateful for including me. I wanted to talk more about where I struggled with the right hand of doom and hearing Ryan Yule talk about it as well. I think the right hand was taken by the Osiris Club when Hellboy died fighting the dragon back in the UK. When England disappeared, so did the cabin to their weird place. Right. When Hellboy went to hell, he was like a ghost, maybe, or something like that. (laughs) Yes. When he came back to Earth using Roger's body, 
which Ed Gray totally set up. It was unclear what he was, but I don't think that his right hand was the original right hand of Doom. He gets the actual right hand back when Mm. he goes to the floating Osiris Club house, and the final resting place is inside Hecate at the end. Didn't he get it chopped off? But But that's what he's saying is that was Roger. Yeah. That wasn't actually it. Sure, right, right, right. That's actually Wait. a great theory. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Didn't Nimue pull him into hell? I didn't think he had a body left. Yeah. That's I what don't he's know. saying. Yeah. What happened? He's uh, a ghost or something. Or something. Which is, I think, encompasses that. And that's totally fair. You're right. It no, doesn't need yeah. to be explained. But I do like that thing of like, hey, he's here in a different body. So he doesn't actually have the thing. So whatever got chopped off wasn't even the deal. But now he's got it back because he was in the weird, weirdo floaty house yeah. place, and now he's got it back. That's cool. I'll, I'll, I dig on that. Oh, that's a really neat theory. Sure, yeah, that's that's good. Good theory, Wes. Good theory, Wes. I like um, that. I, if I remember correctly, at the end of Storm and the Fury, his, his physical body was pulled into hell, including the right hand. So there was no right hand for right, the Osiris to collect. Right. And so when he so when he came out. In Roger's body, I'm thinking that's still the same right hand. But that's, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Right, yeah. (laughs) He said, I think Mike Mignola had the majority of these plot points planned out for a long time. I was thinking a bunch about Abe after listening to this episode, so I went and read some Abe Sapien. For whatever reason, I went back to Abe Sapien The Drowning from 2008. And in there, there's a ton of payout in BPRD issue 15. Death and Rebirth, People Speaking Hyperborean. The people that live in that city adopt a sea-based religion with a similar spin to Jesus, but instead with a little girl whose father is a sea spirit. The spirit is the one that transforms Abe. The religion is linked to Atlantis. Atlanteans also worship the black goddess, Hecate. There's a lot in there, and I think it's worth a revisit for anyone willing. I do feel Mike knew at least that the spirit that transformed Abe and Abe would be a big part of the birthing of the new race of earthlings. And last, I wanted to say I love the idea of reading BPRD without Frankenstein Underground and Hellboy or anything else that might put context on certain things. It would make the reader ask so many questions that the reader would have to do work and read so much for answers and that work would be so rewarded. Just a thought. Thanks. I will talk to you guys soon. Good journey to you. I like that he yeah, said good, good journey. journey that's my you. favorite that's good stuff. <laughs> Masters of the Universe reference. All right. Uh, hopefully oh, that's nice. what he meant. So sure. thank you, Wes. There you go. Even if you're someone who's not really on board with that theory, it's still fun to think about. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like it's, you know, that's, a, that's why it's a book club. Yeah, and, and I like thinking about other people's reading experiences too. If they hadn't Absolutely, read yeah. all the different things and you get to 15, it, it really does drive sure. you to ask so many questions. And um, yeah, that Just can be really fun. perspective there. Yeah. Yes, that's cool. We got a Hit You Damn Guys from Lassie Jurgensen. Lassie Jurgensen. Book club member. Yeah. He said that Mammoth Size Listener Feedback Podcast was amazing, and it really shines a light on how great this community is. Some of the thoughts I have tossed around in my head in regards to this great achievement and storytelling were shared by some of the other book club members, which is great. My favorite story, Box Full of Evil, got a mention, so I'm not alone in loving that one. That's fun. That's my favorite, yeah, too. Yeah, it's, yeah. One of the things I was surprised at is that so many members were introduced to Hellboy by the movies. I myself borrowed Seed of Destruction trade from a friend who was into comics. I think it was 2004 or 5. I was intrigued but didn't read more. I wasn't really a comics reader. Being from Denmark, American comics outside of the big two was not really something that was readily available. Fast forward a couple years or four. I'm a poor university student working on my thesis in desperate need of distraction. And I downloaded a torrent containing all the Hellboy stories. Yes, I know. Well... (laughs) 
I started reading them on my hacked Nintendo DS. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, you do what you can. And I feel like, you know, a lot of us have, have, have bought these stories several times sure. over in various different forms. You got the library editions. You got the omnibus. Right. You got the individual uh, ones, the paperback trades. Right, and, yeah. you know, I feel like we'll cover you. There, that's cool. Like, we, well, you know, he said it wasn't an ideal experience, it but it did make out. me a fan. Shortly after I began getting the library edition, see, and that's another there thing. I feel like people who read these digital downloads, I've never met a single person who hasn't been. But then later, I went and actually, when I had money, I bought the right, things right. to support. So they bought them anyway. It's like they still spent the actual sure. money on the copies of the things. So it's not like you know what I mean. I think that's still okay. You got in there. It's all right. And then he says he branched out to BPRD and the Plague of Frogs omnibus, and it started to become more clear. The best experience was getting the first Witchfinder book from my local library and thinking it was a completely separate story. About that time, I had read Abyss of Time and connected the dots, and I had my, oh shit, it's all connected moment. There was no turning back. I was hooked on the deeper Mignolaverse. I followed Mark Tweedell over at Multiversity, and it helped immensely and gain a lot of more understanding and appreciate of the work as a whole. Hellnotes is great as all, but I needed to discuss the complex intricacies of these stories with somebody. I could invent by writing comics like Matt Strackbine, but the book club satisfies my need to dig deep into these fantastic Aww. stories without driving the people around me insane with speculations about the management structure of hell. Yeah. I think what's cool is like we've we've made so many friends, like actual friends, like we're we're friends with these people like we you know we call them and text them and whatever yeah we've made friends yeah uh but also i f i feel like uh people who otherwise wouldn't have met like the book club members oh yeah have yeah. all like met and been talking and now are actually friends yeah yeah so some of y'all are friends now yeah. too which is i mean it's a book club that's what it is yeah. Like, yeah, that's what literally that's i mean that's <laughs> that's what happened and so that's i don't know it's i like that i think that's it's that's really cool. cool you know and yeah and Lassa has been there since the beginning. Since the beginning, exactly. Because yeah. I remember uh, he's been there like one of the original people. So yeah. I really should have got him on that episode. Maybe yeah. we could do something like that in the future because I'd love to be able to talk to you. Well, hey, I think there's plenty of people we could have on another one. Yeah, window, yeah. So there you go. And yeah. uh, we could do that, you know, reloaded or whatever. Sure. But uh, <laughs> he said, so thank you, John, Aubrey, Danielle, Mark, Matt, Ross, Paul, Aww. Craig. Jerry, Ryan, Hayden, Drew, Nathaniel, Christopher, and all the other book club members I have forgotten. You have all like given that. me a deeper understanding and appreciation of the Mignolaverse. And I look forward to every new episode, as Danielle says. And that's why it's a book that's club. That's why it's a book club. Right. Thank Aww. you, everybody, and best wishes. Lassie Jurgensen, Copenhagen, Denmark. Yeah, we, we love you. Oh, so nice. Thank you for that. Yeah, as book club member. We gotta Thank have, you. We got to have you on one of these days. I, uh... I still can't believe he, he read it all on a Nintendo DS. That's <laughs> impressive. That's actually an impressive feat. That that's that's dedication. That is. I'm impressed. <laughs> I've never heard of that. I've never good. heard of reading comics on a Nintendo DS. But wow. I mean, he bought them. That's cool. I'm cool with that. It's still legit. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can put a CBZ on an iPod Nano. Re retroactively. <laughs> oh God, <legit>. why? <laughs> we had some feedback on our Witchfinder episode from last week. Witchfinder. Witchfinder. We heard from Andrew Adair, hey, who Andrew wrote the Adair. theme. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. He that said, is awesome, by the way. It I really am, is. I love that. Yeah, I listened to it so many times. That's great. <laughs> he said, hey, you damn guys, thanks so much for using the theme song. I'm honored and thrilled you that you for making guys it. liked it enough to use it. And sending it in. So glad you did another Witchfinder story. I'm trying hard to read and keep up with the show. 
I just tried swinging my coat and putting both arms through at the same time. <laughs> and I got to say, I enjoyed it. It's great. It will probably be my preferred method. It's very satisfying. <laughs> it's very satisfying. Keep up the good work. You guys really help make the world more tolerable. Aww, Thank you, that's Andrew. The highest compliment I think I've ever received. <laughs> you make Aww. the world more tolerable, yeah, Andrew. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Book club member. Book club member. That's right. We also heard from Brendan McVeigh. Brendan McVeigh. Book club member. Yeah, sure is. He said, I enjoyed the review of the first two issues of City of the Dead. Edward Gray might be my favorite character from the Hellboy universe. Of the sixth Witchfinder series so far, this one and In the Service of Angels are by far my favorite. I liked Mystery of Unland a lot too, but I feel Ed Gray works best in the fog and gaslight of Victorian London. Mm. That might be why I didn't connect with Lost and Gone Forever. While a good story with some really great art, the Western setting unfortunately work to disconnect me from the world. Hmm. Witchfinder succeeds when it's following in the best tradition of British occult detectives like John Silence or Karnacki. That being said, I wouldn't mind another Mignola Western without Gray. Maybe a solo mini about Morgan Kaler and Isaac. Okay. Kurt Russell. Yeah, yeah? absolutely. (laughs) 100%. I hope that you all enjoy the rest of the story. I'll be interested to hear what you think of the final two series. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Brendan. Yeah. yeah. I hope to hear from you again soon. Ryan Yule said... Hey, Ryan Yule. Book club member. Yeah. He said uh, that he wants Skeleton Crew to make the little cow. We just okay. want them to make everything, right? Would yeah. you buy the little yeah. cow? I definitely would. The little cow is is pretty obscure. Yeah. But I feel like you could make your own one of those, though. <laughs> Christopher Egan said... Christopher Egan, book yeah, club member. Yeah, Christopher Egan, book club member. He said, I got to review issue one of this series. Not sure how I got it away from Mark. I forgot Christopher works for uh, Multiversity also. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's really cool. Right, right, right. We got, we got to get his, uh, his uh, credentials in there. Yeah. We got to do that. He also said, I love Andrew's Witchfinder theme. I'm going to assume he was directly influenced by Goblin's work on Suspiria. And again, I love it. Is Goblin the name of a person? Yes, okay. that's the composer. Awesome. And that is a, that is a that's a dope ass fucking yeah. <laughs> composer name. And Andrew said that he was actually channeling the theme for the old Sherlock Holmes series cool. that he grew up on with Jeremy Brett. I dig it. He said when I do music. I like to have some kind of visual in mind. I'm a sucker for the Victorian detective stuff, so Witchfinder really hit the sweet spot for me. Mm. Now I'm torn between finishing Joe Gollum, listening to the episode, or looking up this Suspiria soundtrack. Okay. So he hadn't heard of that. So that's and interesting, then they, though. And that's then neat. they got into a conversation about all that I stuff. Love so that. that was really cool. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. That's great. I actually went. I actually did look up that soundtrack. It was pretty good. Oh yeah, nice. That's awesome. I love it when book club members come together. <laughs> <laughs> Drew Campbell said. Yeah, Drew Campbell. Book club member. Yeah. I wish I was cool enough to put a jacket on with both arms at the same time, <laughs> but it always bunches up my shirt underneath the jacket, you, and then fixing that cancels out any coolness involved. Uh, yeah. No, you gotta. <laughs> you, it's it takes time to develop a technique, but trust me, it's worth it. It just takes a little bit of practice. You just got to do it a couple of times and feel it out. It's possible though. Hayden Orr said. Hayden Orr. Book club member. That's right. He said, "Great episode, you guys." <laughs> And he was he was like, oh, and I listened back to the episode, and you did talk about that thing. Remember, I was like, I sure we talked oh, about okay. the Howards and the sword. All right. Sure. I don't ha- I don't know how I missed that, well, but go. work hours have been crazy. So the that's only time enough. I'm fully awake is when I'm chugging caffeine. So maybe that's it. That's fair enough. Anyway, I don't know if you guys are aware of the NBC Hannibal series. 
We have watched some of that series. Uh, I the the reason that I checked that out is because I heard that Gillian Anderson was in there, so I right, obviously yeah. had to watch it. But like I I don't I feel like I couldn't really just watch like out of context Gillian Anderson. I mean I would I will. <laughs> I will do that any day of the week. But so I watched from the beginning. Horrific show. And I, I can't really stomach a lot of that. So I will kind of skip some of the more right awful stuff. And it starts making me feel just really fucking awful. It is awful cool, though. It was a cool weird. show. I so, yeah. Them. So, like, there for the most part, it's good. But I, some of it, like, started to just make me feel weird. It was, like, it's real. It's successful in that it makes you feel like, is everyone a serial killer? Right. <laughs> So the actors are great. And of course, then once I got into it, uh, what's his name? I love this guy. Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, Mads he's Mikkelsen. fantastic. Obviously, we already knew this from all the other numerous things we've seen him in, but he's great. Not really caught. I couldn't. I had to stop watching. Right. It's so horrific. Yeah. But Gillian Anderson my, is great. Mad, Mads Mikkelsen is great. Isn't yeah, my my uh, my sister, like right before I saw that comment, like a week before I saw that, my sister recommended that I watch it. But I'll be honest, I'm a little burnt out on Hannibal Lecter. But I do love Mads Mikkelsen, so yeah. maybe I'll give it a shot. Hayden says... That he thinks actually that Mads plays a better Hannibal Lecter than Anthony Hopkins. Ooh, I have no strong opinion about yeah. that at all, one way or the other. But I know that there are people who do. <laughs> so <laughs> I believe it. Very bold. He said uh, that there's an episode where Hannibal is aiding the FBI and tracking down a serial killer who kidnaps people and turns them into living mushroom farms. We nice. talked about that a yeah, little bit last that week. That did happen. I think we have seen that episode, right? Right. Danielle talk about mushroom suits instantly made me think of that. To, it, to clarify, I'll I'll be dead when yeah. that happens. So, but I'm not gonna give myself up while living to a mushroom <laughs> farm. Like that's <laughs> Hayden said. But anyway, City of the Dead. I love this series, and a big part of that is the art. If I'm not mistaken, it was the first time Stenbeck had done a whole series with ink wash technique right. before, which is why the art has a different, almost aged look to it. I'm sure that he also had some help from Michelle Madsen's awesome color work. What's not to love about Ed Gray going up against a master vampire in London? Great gore, great spooky atmosphere, great connections to the grander lore of the Mignolaverse. This series rules. One thing I want to dive into is Dracula. In his wonderful Hell Notes article, The Artificial Lives of Men's and Monkey Apes, Mark Tweedle talks about how Frankenstein's monster is real in the universe. But so is the novel by Mary Shelley and the bevy of film adaptations, which means... Shelley likely heard the story and wrote it as fiction when it was indeed fact. We can assume from some throwaway lines and movie posters in some of the short stories that Dracula and other movie monsters exist too. So that means the book Dracula exists. Stoker had the book published in 1897 and the book takes place vaguely in the late 1800s. City of the Dead takes place in 1882 and Ed Gray is known to be the star of several Penny Dreadfuls while Mignola has sort of jokingly said that Dracula does exist in the Hellboy universe, I think that Jurescu is actually the Mignolaverse equivalent of Count Dracula, which would possibly make Bram Stoker someone who outright stole the story of Dracula, a Romanian vampire invading London with plans to create a new undead empire from an Ed Gray Penny Dreadful. Or maybe I'm looking way into all of this. No, well, that's cool. And that's pretty good. I yeah. like that. Well, okay, so... Okay, so if the book Dracula exists and then the film versions of Dracula exist, so that means uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula exists. So that means Mike Mignola's adaptation yes. of Dracula exists <laughs> oh, in the man. world. <laughs> Draculaception. Wow, that's pretty good, Aubrey. I like that's that. good shit. I'm on board with all of this. Nice. Yeah, I think that they did talk about like the real quote-unquote Dracula 
just got like stabbed briefly in Mexico or something like yeah. that, or like he like <laughs> came to life and then got immediately killed again or something. But yeah, I like this idea that Jurescu is like their version of it, or he's wow. their you know classic vampire. He's a Dracula. He's, he's a Dracula. A subset. All right, and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week, we're continuing our discussion of Witchfinder. Witchfinder City of the Dead, issues three through five, were published from October to December 2016. Written by Mignola and Chris Robertson, art by Ben Stenbeck, colors by Michelle Madsen. Letters by Clem Robbins, and we also have some incredible covers by Julian Tatino Tedesco. Nice. Yeah, so I love this cover here with all the snakes nice. around Jurescu. I feel like that's foreshadowing, you know, Hecate is going to become involved yeah. with him and all that kind of stuff. I really appreciate also how he painted the snakes just as like normal regular snakes they don't have anthropomorphized faces where it's like a bad tattoo where they're like uh, <laughs> i'm angry and violent for no reason <laughs> like you know what i mean like yeah. these snakes are just being snakes like this could be a it looks like a snake yeah because yeah. like snakes for the most part like 99.9 percent .9 of the time are just minding their own business and just like snaking around so i like that <laughs> i i always appreciate that when a drawing of a snake just looks like do, do, do. I'm yeah. just a snake. Like a snake. <laughs> instead of exactly, instead of a like whatever. Dragon like, you know or what I'm something. talking about? Yeah, like yeah, a I know God. what you're talking about. We open in London, October seventeen seventy three. Boot these snoots. A good hundred and nine years before the events of the story. Jurescu sits across from King George the Third himself. <laughs> We see him get the deed to the estate. So they talked about this a little bit in the last issue. And George is happy to do it. It is all that Jurescu asks in exchange for squashing his colonial revolt. God. The American Revolution would kick off two years later, October 1773. There was actually the first attempt by Daniel Boone. He tried to start a colony in Kentucky, which kicked off the Dunmore War. And so I'm wondering, like, maybe the vampires had something to do with that, you know, weaving into the historical fiction. Because Too fucking basically, rowdy, even for Dracula's. Yeah, because even... Uh, you know, if Jurescu's saying he's going to take care of it, does that mean he had something to do with that, too? Right. But one thing I thought was interesting as I was researching this, Daniel Boone would later try to open a colony again, and he was going to call it the Transylvanian Colony. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Jurescu also mentions the Madeline Rose. This is the fictional ship. It's been mentioned before in Pickens County Horror. So I had to go to Pickens County Horror and look at this. So Vaughn gets rescued by this old guy who's out there actually researching the vampires. He starts to go like a little mad. And he tells Vaughn about the Madeline Rose. In December 1773, a crowd in Stamford, Connecticut, thinks the Boston Tea Party sounded like fun, so they get drunk, dressed like Indians, and board the Madeline Rose, which had docked that day. But instead of tea, the crates contain Prussian vampires sent by the Brits as mercenaries to squash the colonial revolt. So this is connecting directly to what is happening here with King George and Jurescu, which I thought was really cool. You know what I mean? It's really tying up 
everything that they've talked about or laid the groundwork with the vampires. You know, somebody on Instagram, God, I forget what, who the listener was. Uh, they had asked, like, how many races are there in the Mignolaverse? Mm-hmm. Like, how many different things are there? And there are so many. But it made me start thinking about this, right? Because we're talking about vampires you're ta- specifically. You're, you're talking about, just to clarify, you're talking about, like, like make-believe. Like, goblins, yeah, course, goblins yes, and yes. stuff. Okay. So, but I just want to st- go ahead and put that in there. But I started thinking about the vampires. You know, you could argue that the cold people were va- the vampires. Okay. The sure. original vampires, right? Because right, right. right? they worshipped Hecate. And then you had Jurescu in this time. And then after this, you're going to have BPRD vampire. That's kind of the... You start to get pick- some Draculas. You, you pick up the Dracula line there. Right. Then we have Hellboy sleeping in the dead. Pickens County Horror from BPRD Hell on Earth and then Devil You Know. Right. And I think that like uh, that's all the vampire stuff, right? Wait, what about the uh, uh, Hellboy in Mexico? Uh, oh, right. There's vampire stuff in there. Monster-esque, yeah. like, like, like transforming guys. Right, yeah. No, there are definitely vampires in there, too. Yeah, thank you, Aubrey. I was trying to track, you know, if you just wanted to track the vampire line. But there's, it, like you said, there's, there's different types of all that. Yeah, but they're all... I think you could all classify them as being vampires. That's what I'm saying, is that they're yeah. like subclasses yeah. and all that. So now we know Jurescu's behind all of this. He was supposed to lead this vampire revolution that we know what's going to happen with that, right? Yeah. They're going to get up a little bit too late. And Jurescu's going to explode after he gets headbutted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And then we cut over to London, 1882. Edward Grey writes a letter to the Queen informing her of Jurescu and his evil empire plot. But you notice he doesn't mention anything about vampires. Yeah. By the way, Draculas are coming. <laughs> Just put that in there. And he stamps the letter. You, you That's stamp, so satisfying. You stamp do. a letter yourself. Yeah, yeah. the wax seals. Um, so doing doing the wax seals on anything is is always very satisfying to do. I yeah. love I love that. It makes it extra fancy too. Like people like to get. Yeah. They're like oh, you know. So that's fun. Gray sends Bailey personally to deliver the letter, and Gray emphasizes the security of it to Bailey. He's like, you can only give it to someone who's on the Queen's personal staff. Later in Gray journals, we get a nice shot of the little cow. The little cow, yeah. Cute. Gray would normally discount the Helioptic Brotherhood's claims. He thought this was some bullshit like Strobel. Yeah who he encountered through Guilford and In the Service of Angels, or like Mary and Elizabeth Washbrook and Sarah Webb. Those were the three witches from Murderous Intent. Remember they were trying to, they had like a cauldron and a demon was coming out. There was like a hand or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. But he can't help but accept that Jurescu's not mortal, and he must be attended to before it's too late. Gray returns the next day with some police. He can't give them the details, but the sergeant is ready to go all in. These guys... All right, you lot, get on with it. Yeah, they're... They're like, your warrant's good <laughs> enough for us. Gray inspects the house. Yeah, they don't... It, it definitely looks like they cleared everything out because we saw Gray there just in the previous issue talking to Jurascu. Yeah. And he notices the bed is covered in dust. There's blackout curtains. But when he looks out the window into the street, he sees from across the street, there's somebody staring back at him <laughs> from a house over there. Moss Lomi's got a smart little suit there. Yeah. When I saw him in the suit, I was like, ooh, he's just fancy. He's sharp. And so Gray's like, what the shit, right? He like exits the estate. And the sergeant's all like, oh, I hope we're not boring you. Like, I guess Jeez. like, because they just see him leaving or whatever. Not that Muslomi's usual clothes are not sharp and fancy. It's just a different, oh, yeah, no, different I, style of fancy. Yeah, we, and we yeah, don't usually yeah. see him in. We don't normally see him like this at all. I did want to talk it's about novel, that. It's a novel. It's a novelty for us. We're like, oh, that's different. So. 
and he when he encounters Mothlami, there's this interesting line where he says, um, "Yeah, well, you can see me because I wished you to see me." So cool. we initially get this it. idea that he's like of this sure. otherworldly thing, but I do like him in this kind of getup. And I'm thinking, like, you know, when Hellboy sees him, that's in 2001 right. or whatever, early 2000s. He can pull off a broad range of styles. You know, in he's the 1800s, a, yeah. you know, he's wearing a nice little suit. He's got a broad range there. I like that. And Gray says he's not accustomed to meeting people in dreams before real life. He asks Muslomi, "Do you deny that we have encountered one another before?" I have traveled a great distance to meet you, farther than you can imagine, Mothlomi says. An evil that has slumbered beneath the earth for a great many years is threatening to awaken, and I believe you are the one to prevent it. Who disturbs my slumber? And a good Gray's word. Like, slumber is a good word. And I like how Gray's like, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, you're going to be with the cryptid That's stuff. That's fine. I speak as plainly as I can, Mothlomi responds. There are some matters that are not easily encompassed in the speech of men, and he's like, Okay, all sure, right. Sure. More I things like, in heaven and earth. Yeah, I, I do like how cynical he is. Right, I think that's yeah. a nice touch. It adds a little bit of flavor, you know. I thought it was interesting that he mentions this Hamlet line from Act 1, Scene 5 again, because, you know, this is Mark Tweedo putting the reading order together, right. or maybe it's just a coincidence, but um, that line was prominent in Saturn Returns. Yeah. With Agent Kinsey. Well, maybe we are supposed to be paying attention to that then. So I like that, yeah. Ed Gray's like, okay, well, you're obviously more than you seem. What can you tell me about this Jurescu business? Mothlomi says, I know that the dead do not always remain in their resting place and that some men walk the earth beyond their appointed time. As for the one you speak of, I know only the danger that he poses, far greater than himself. If you desire answers, you must go to the place where ravens gather. And so Gray's like, it's going to be riddles and cryptic warnings, is it then? And so he turns around so and... sick of your shit. He, get, he did a Batman He did a Batman, him. he sure did. <laughs> Although I have to agree with Gray. I mean, uh, what's up with the cryptic shit? Just fucking get to it. Right. <laughs> that's, that's his style, man. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, I love Moff Loomy. He yeah. is so cool. Yeah, no, that's, you know, I it's know. I, I do, I like that they give this moment a little breathing room, too. Where yeah. he's like, yeah. all right. Yeah, <laughs> with this with this shit, I like that he's slightly annoyed by that. I think that's um, it's a good touch. It's a good yeah. contrast. So we cut to this underground cavern, and here is Jurescu's crew. They've this is where we see they've moved everything from inside the house, and they take Jurescu out, and he's like, "Okay, well, now your services are no longer required." And the guy, he's like, "Well, what about my payment?" He's like, "You're going to be rewarded, but." Don't take too long to spend it because me and my friends, we're going to come and we're going to fuck shit up oh, right here in London is where it's all going to start. They right? don't. They don't. <laughs> he ta- I like that he takes off his quilted smoking jacket and puts on his like oh, official military yeah, jacket yeah, or whatever. Right. That's they a actually, nice touch. Yeah. He's, uh, he's got help putting this jacket on, so he doesn't do the uh, spin it around and put both arms through technique. But he's got <laughs> someone helping him. He's got someone helping him out, so... So one thing is interesting that Jurescu mentions London is important, right? It was built atop a spot venerated by my mistress's followers since ancient times. All right. So I wonder, like, does um, does BPRD Vampire have something to do with London? Also, aren't they in France or something, or they're in Europe somewhere? Yeah. So this yeah. guy talks a lot of shit for like no payoff, too, right. which is <laughs> incredibly funny to me. I like how at the end of this thing, this one guy's like, so we're still getting paid, right? right. He's like, so yeah, yeah sure, I'll spend yeah, it quickly. All right, sure, yeah, man. <laughs> Back at St. John of the Cross Police Station. This guy, I love this guy. Gray reports to the team, we got Mr. Silk with his little cake and tea, Miss Goad and Dr. Manley. Did we, did she, 
is she did we put her as Kat Dennings? Or who was it that we put? It was somebody else. It was like a waitress in a diner, I think. Oh, that was in Saturn Returns. Look, yeah. if she doesn't, if because the waitress <laughs> in the diner is just such a small part. She's in there for like one second. Maybe this would she she would make a good okay. Kat, yeah. Maybe Cat Dennings would make a good. Uh, what is this character's name? Mrs. Goad. Yeah, I'd like to see her with this guy. Whoever we put for this guy <laughs> would be good. I like this guy a lot. Mr. Silk. Yeah. Yeah, he's funny. So I think the two of them could... He's a good would, character. That would be cute. Gray tells the team here that the house was empty, and Mr. Silk mentions Umpir, or Vampire, right? So or, that's like an old school name yeah. for Vampire. Or Vampire, I think. Or Vampire, is, right. Yeah, yeah. As we've heard in a lot of 90s and early 2000s <laughs> movies. <laughs> Sometimes spelled uh, with a Y for no reason. Sure. Yeah. And uh, Miss Goat says... Like Varney the Vampire made flesh. Ooh, I get that reference. Okay, so do you tell us a little yeah. bit about this, Aubrey? I've got the trivia here, but you give me... Uh... Let's do it. All I know is, is like I had this book a long time ago that was about vampires and fiction, and like it had a chapter on Varney the Vampire. Okay. I read it like 30 years ago, so I don't really remember it sure. much. But I do right. remember that it was kind of like a penny dreadful thing that came out around the same time as like Dracula or before oh, cool. Dracula. Nice. Yeah, great job, Aubrey. It's a Victoria-era serialized gothic horror. It was a penny dreadful, variously attributed to James Malcolm Reimer and Thomas Peckett Priest. It first appeared in 1845 to 1847 as a series of weekly cheap pamphlets, The Penny Dreadfuls. The author was paid by the typeset line, so when the story was published in book form in 1847, it was an epic length. The original edition ran to 876 double-column pages, and 232 chapters. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> it is the tale of the vampire Sir Francis Varney, and it introduced many of the tropes present in vampire fiction recognizable to modern audiences. Oh, nice. It was the first story to refer to sharpened teeth for a vampire, noting, with a plunge, he seizes her neck with his fang-like teeth. <laughs> right on. Mr. Silk. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I do like that. Uh, I do like Varney the Vampire. I didn't know anything about that. I had completely forgotten until I read that. And I was like, <laughs> it was like, it was like opening a door to a memory that I forgot. Sure. <laughs> I love yeah, that. That's great. Mr. Silk asks about this clue with Mothlomi, so with the Raven. So Ms. Goad says, oh, that's Raven's Tower. Oh, man. So I didn't know about that. Um, at least a group of six captive ravens are resident at the Tower of London. Yes. Their presence is traditionally believed to protect the crown and the tower. A superstition holds that if the tower of London's ravens are lost or fly away, the crown will fall and Britain with it. Right. Some historians, including the tower's official historian, believe the tower raven mythology is likely to be a Victorian flight of fantasy. The earliest known reference to the captive ravens at the tower is an illustration from 1883. Now, the, so I don't give a shit about royalty or the crown or whatever the right. fuck, but it is super cool. And they're not necessarily captive, quote unquote, the way that we normally th would think of captive. Like they have very, very nice uh, roomy facilities that they sleep in at night. But during the day, they're playing on the lawn and they're out flying around and frolicking and stuff. And there's actually a guy. And we, we you know, later in the story, we're going to see some more of this. So, but there's a guy. He's uh, the Raven Master. That's an official title of an actual guy. It's like a, it's like a real position, the Raven Master. And I've been following this dude. 
on social media for a while now. Oh, that's cool. Give he, him a shout out. What's the what's the account? You just I mean, if you search for Raven Master, okay. you'll find him. He's uh he's super cool. He actually takes really good uh fo- photos. He takes really good photographs and he recently came out with a book and I haven't read it, but I would like to. It seems cool and um you get to know the various ravens through his posts and stuff wow. and so they all have different little personalities and and all this oh, stuff and he's cool. in charge yeah he's in charge of their care and he gets to know them really well and really deeply and like they're he treats them like people like they're his friends and everything and they're like a little family over there and they really do they really do have their own little personalities and they're fantastic and the um, matriarch raven um for a really long time named merlena recently passed away was but lived a very long awesome life as a raven and so you know now you see all the di- you know different ravens on uh the account like there's poppy and there's various you know uh guys and gals on there but it's super cool if you want to check out just Cute. a little yeah if you want to check out just a little cool thing like i said i don't really i don't really give a shit about royalty or or, or the fucking yeah crown or the queen or kings or whatever the fuck but uh dude somebody having the title of raven master and like being friends with a bunch of ravens that are you're charged with their care it's an official title like he's got an official his whole outfit and his badges oh, yeah. and whatever and it's super cool so check that guy out it's pretty it's pretty fascinating it's yeah, pretty cool thank you for that yeah i never heard of that until today that is fascinating i've been following also. this guy for years that's super cool <laughs> yeah um i actually did read a little bit about that these guys are called yeoman warders or yeoman yeah yeoman warders and there's a specific raven master that position has been there since 1660 yeah since it's a Charles super serious II. thing like they t- you know what i mean like it's it's pretty interesting yeah, that's pretty cool. So when Ms. Goad mentions the Tower of London, Gray says that he'll go check it out. Since they don't have any other leads, and Silk says Manly will accompany Gray. But Manly has a little bit of a tantrum about it, right? Yeah. And he says, I'm a surgeon, not a puppet in a Punch and Judy show. Punch and Judy is a traditional puppet show featuring Mr. Punch and his wife, Judy. The performance consists of sequence of short stories each depicting an interaction between two characters, most typically Mr. Punch and one other character who usually falls victim to Punch's slapstick. (laughs) It is often associated with traditional British culture. Awesome. And so when Manly, you know, his face gets all red. I love the color work by Madsen as she like, you know, you can see all the blood rushing to his face. Miss Goat's like, I want to get the hell out of here. I'm here with this dude eating his cake all day and stuff. Let me go. So, you know, Silk is all right with that. He just wants to get back to his little tea and stuff, right? It was a it was a ridiculously long time before I found before I figured out that tea or afternoon tea is a meal the way we would describe breakfast or lunch. Right, right. I think I was like in my freaking twenties before I was like, oh, they're not just describing like they're gonna drink tea now, like it's actually a meal. So <laughs> it's like a, it's like a midday snack or something. Over at the Tower of London, I love this. There's some great illustrations by Stenbeck of this. Goad mentions to Grey that she's a mythology buff. So this oh, nice. is great for her, yeah, right? This is great. She mentions the Mabinonion. This is the earliest prose stories of the literature of Britain. The stories were compiled in Middle Welsh in the 12th and 13th centuries from earlier oral traditions. And Goad says that it recounts that the severed head of Bren the Blessed was buried at this spot. She also mentions that Bran means king and raven. Nice. Bran the, Bla- yeah. Bran the Blessed in Welsh, it literally means blessed crow, is a giant and king of Britain in Welsh mythology. Okay. According to the Welsh triads, 
Bran's head was buried in London where the White Tower now stands. As long as it remained there, Britain would be safe from invasion. However, King Arthur dug up the head, declaring the country would be protected only by his great strength. There have been attempts in modern times to link the current practice of keeping ravens at the Tower of London under the care of the Raven Master with this story of Bran, whose name means crow. Several scholars have noted the similarities between Bran the Blessed and the Arthurian character, the Fisher King. And then there's also a lot of references to modern mythology, right? Obviously, yeah. uh, Game of Thrones, as Aubrey was pointing well, out to me earlier sure. this week. Right. Yeah, so I, when I read that Bran means king and raven, I was like, if I had known that, I would have figured that show out in yeah. the very <laughs> beginning. <laughs> right. In the Wikipedia entry, it did list Game of Thrones as well as a bunch of other pop culture references to yeah, Bran. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. And how they've incorporated him and this raven mythology together in a lot of different things so i think that's really interesting right on and miss goad mentions a flock of ravens and he says not flock miss goad unkindness right and that is that is a a, a word uh, that's that, a collective noun it is a collective noun for uh ravens um i think a lot of people uh use the word murder although i don't really I think that's attributed to crows crows exactly yeah. and yeah. so that's but that's i think it gets mixed up sometimes yeah which is, yeah i'm i am fascinated by collective nouns for birds you it's know, always fun to find a new one um okay. but that's kind of messed up it's like murder of crows unkindness of ravens like uh it's rude. i think it's rude <laughs> well the the alternate one for ravens is conspiracy that's cool a conspiracy of ravens <laughs> they are very smart i would not be surprised <laughs> We gotta find we gotta find a nice one for them. I like ravens; they're they're cutie pies. We gotta, you know, send us a hate them guys with your uh your idea for a nice collective noun for ravens. <laughs> That's what I'd like to hear. And crows as uh. well. Corvids are awesome. We need to do them a little bit more justice than that. Stenbeck does a good job of giving the little bird behavior and stuff like that. Yeah. God, we talked about him doing like an animal. In another thing, I want to talk about like an animal was walking up, and we were like, "Oh, this is it looks, really yeah." It looks like he's walking. Yeah, the little rabbit in right. Lambton Worm. I think we were commenting on that. No, was something. it? It was. It was like a goose or something. Wasn't oh it? no, the goose and yeah. and Kashi. I was like, that is a goose walking. If I've oh, ever yeah. seen one, we, yeah. that's another one where we talked about his animal work. Thank you so much. Yeah, I you couldn't can see remember them. That. They're super curious by nature, so you can see them kind of like yeah. playing around and whatever down here. And we get a nice rendition of one of these yeoman warders. They talk to the guard there and they ask if there have been any unusual happenings, but the guard says there haven't. But he mentions there's all this digging going on, and Gray's like, hmm, digging. Yeah, so this looks like the Raven Master. I mean, he's got a couple of different outfits that he wears, I think, depending on the occasion. Nice. So, like, yeah, I think depending on the occasion, he'll he'll change up his um his getup and, and all that. But like this this looks like the thing. This looks like the guy. So that's rad. Nice. Like that. That's cool, man. We get back to the rail line. We saw this scene in the beginning, and this is where Hawkins and Campbell found that underground cavern. Campbell talks to Ed Graying. We find out that the two men who were missing down there were never found, and Hawkins had to be sent home when he got when his nerves got the best of him. He said something was buried down there. Campbell leads Gray and Miss Go down there as well. As they go down, they talk about how London is built on top of the bones of the past. Campbell says they found plague pits, mass burial sites, and even dinosaur bones down there. Dinosaurs. 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 He mentions. Like the statues out at Crystal Palace. 
The Crystal Palace dinosaurs are a series of sculptures of dinosaurs and other extinct animals, incorrect by modern standards. Nice. In the London borough of Bromley's Crystal Palace Park, commissioned in 1852 to accompany the Crystal Palace after its move from the Great Exhibition in Hyde Park, they were unveiled in 1854 as the first dinosaur sculptures in the world. The models were designed and sculpted by Benjamin Waterhouse Hawkins under the scientific direction of Sir Richard Owens, representing the latest scientific knowledge at the time. So I went back and looked at these. Yeah. Um, they're really cool to check out. The Crystal Palace dinosaurs, you know, they kind of look more like dragons a little right, bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they do resemble, you can kind of oh, wow. see... You can kind of see, like, oh, that's supposed to be, like, the ichthyosaur, and right. oh, that's supposed to be, like... Well, now, but, though, like, most modern depictions of dinosaurs are still They're still not, not correct, yeah. Like, you, you know, and I... I they had feathers and all that kind right, of stuff, and, so, like, and the various, plume. Yeah, various people online have all... I mean, there's a lot of different people who have said all this stuff, so I, I, I apologize. I'd be hard-pressed to actually find specific names and stuff, but, like, you know, if you had just a bird with no feathers, it looks very different than like most birds that you're looking at and so if you just have like a skeleton with just skin like around the bones of the skeleton of course it's going to look like that but then if you think about like you know add fat add muscle add feathers it looks like you know like a right yeah, yeah. like if you've ever seen like an owl like skeleton or something okay it looks yeah. like it w looks very odd it doesn't look it doesn't like look an like owl, an yeah. owl and so that's something i think about a lot is all of the images of dinosaurs we were fed as kids of these like real skinny yeah lizard yeah. guys of like they probably just looked like gigantic chickens and geese and stuff <laughs> you know what i mean and that's uh, or if you look at the skull like of a hippopotamus right exactly exactly it looks like a monster it looks horrific. And so if you think of like a sparrow, the size of a T-Rex, moving as fast as a sparrow would. Cute and horrific. And I love it. So anyway, with, <laughs> there you go. think about dinosaurs, but if they looked like birds instead. And some of them probably did look like lizards, though. Like a lot of them, like half of them yeah. were like, I'm a lizard. And half of them were like, I'm a bird. Tell us what you think about dinosaurs. Tell us what you think about dinosaurs. So we get back down to that chamber that we saw earlier. Gray says the designs are similar to Etruscan, Greek, and Egyptian motifs. Perhaps a mystery cult dating back to Londinium? So I was like, what is that? And that is Roman London and the capital of Roman Britain during most of the period of Roman rule. It was originally a settlement established on the current site of the city of London around AD 47 to 50. So that kind of goes along with Jurescu was saying like, London is the spot. It's been a significant spot all this time. You know, that is tying into the historical fiction of the real London. I wanted to talk about these reliefs a little bit, right? Um, I love Stenbeck's work on this. And it's very similar to, remember when Ed Gray was in Jurescu's house and he had these reliefs of people getting eaten by dragons oh, and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And so this yeah. is kind of like some of the same imagery right here. Gray wishes he could see them in better lighting and Goad's like, I just have the thing, a piece of wax paper from the butchers and a pencil. So I love that. She goes and yeah, she's very right. useful. Oh, yeah. Much more useful than Manly and yes. Lewis. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. We saw how that went earlier. Absolutely. Gray tells Campbell that the two that went missing couldn't have simply vanished. There should be some evidence behind. And then we see this snake again coming out from behind the rock. I like how Miss Goat has this little uh, comment, too, where she's like, oh, an extra pair of eyes. You really want me to do all the dirty work. Yeah, more like Scrubs. an extra <laughs> pair of hands to do the work he deigns not to do. That's great. He's like, they can't have simply vanished even if something supernatural did happen. There's... 
why wouldn't there be any evidence? And then here comes a snake. Right. Miss Goat so, sees one. Yeah. They go over and she's like, oh, it's nothing to be scared of. It's just this little snake. It's just this little guy here. It's harmless. Yeah. And I like that she she makes that comment. She's like, ah, oh, you know, it's probably just harmless. It's it's all good. Just leave him alone. Let's go. I like that. But Gray's like, no, that's not the first when one I around here a by a long chalk. And an underground cavern. I know better than that. I should have looked that up. Not by a long chalk. By no means, not at all. It's British in origin. That I think we could have surmised for ourselves. Uh, where does it come from? Let's see. Describe something highly unlikely. Not anywhere close to succeeding. Idiom. Not by long chalk. First appeared in the early 1800s, derived from the practice of using chalk to keep score in games of skill, particularly in English pubs. Wow. Okay. So there you go. Like, I guess darts and such. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I wonder when it became long shot. Maybe know. it just yeah. kind of morphed over time. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, they kind of sound similar. Yeah, because I mean, I've heard about other phrases that like it started off as one thing and then exactly. they're at our modern phrases yeah. are completely different. And you know, you're taking similar. your best shot when you're playing little pub games, so it's right, possible right. that that kind of became. That's interesting. I love that. Thank you for looking that up. Yeah, that's cool. And so Gray's like, something's about to happen. I know it. Your serpentine visitor has not come alone. I got my little weird gun. And we see Whoa. all these incredible uh, snakes. I love. Uh, you know, Stenbeck had to like. Yeah open up google and just look at all these yeah. different snakes because you can definitely see like there are definitely different styles and um, but they all look like real snakes yeah but these are clearly magic snakes at this point like there's yeah. you know they snakes are not normally aggressive uh, like the, this is you know so this is a this is clearly a magical scenario that would never otherwise happen unless there was magic afoot so. there's a there's a big boy right here look there's at a couple of big snake. boys there's, yeah. a cu- there's a couple of big boys here wow uh, so, you know, if I ever came upon this or something like this, I'd be like, nope, and get the <laughs> fuck out of it. I, right. I would be like, nope, nope. Well, snakes, <laughs> snakes would not normally be coming after right. you like this, so it's, you know. If I love you, If you come across a cavern of magical snakes that are aggressive <laughs> because they're magical, then yes, please get out of there. I'm definitely afraid of snakes. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I like how Gray's response is, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. He says to himself, you know, to the, all these snakes coming down. Now, um, we we went to a snake farm. Yeah. We've been to a couple little snake couple places where they snake have places. snakes. Yeah. And, uh, Anytime there's a thing on the side of the road that says, hey, come check out all these snakes. When you're driving out we'll West over. Texas, there's yeah. places like, what was that place called? There's snakes a lot. Yeah. And... Snake time. I don't know. God. Snake place. <laughs> a place for snakes. Yeah. It was pretty cool. We got to. Yeah. We got to. Snakes play with some snakes yeah. and stuff it's a guy there was a guy who he like snake handler he'll go to yeah he'll go to people's properties who are like hey there's snakes come get the snake or i'm gonna kill it and he's like no don't kill the snakes yeah. we have to preserve these you know native species for our our environment here and so he goes and he gets the snakes that otherwise people would right. kill in fear and then he gets these snakes and he relocates the snakes and some of them who he'll like quote unquote rescue the snakes if he feels like they need to They've been injured in some some way, and he'll take them back to the snake place and like heal them up, and then release them and all this sort of stuff. So he's he's a cool dude. He's doing like conservation work. It's not just like come see a barrel of snakes, you know. I like uh, that Miss <laughs> Goad's response is not, "Oh my god, a snake!" Yeah, she's, like, she's like, "Oh, it's harmless." And then Gray is the yeah. one who's like, "Wait a minute, no, we're in a weird magical underground weird, cavern. That's a magic snake. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to do some evil snake. stuff." It is interesting that this is what it takes for him to pay attention. And not be all, ah, whatever. Oh, right. About what he's doing. He's like, now you have my attention. All right. Another amazing cover by Tedesco here. This little vampire kind of looks like Freddy Krueger to me. Yeah, it's got a very Freddy Krueger feel. 
I really like that. The color work is really cool on this too. So he's um, more of a he's more of a uh, Nosferatu than a Dracula yeah. here. You know, um, Ryan Yule, book club member, yeah. he actually reached out to Tedesco about these covers, oh, wow. and Tedesco said that these are digital. So digital these, these are all digital yeah. paintings. Yeah. Really, that takes uh, quite a bit of skill. So that's excellent. Opening chapter four, we're getting right in on this action with the snakes. And she's like, oh, what was this you said about there was there being nothing to fear, Sir Edward? I am mistaken on rare occasion, Ms. Goad, he says. There's this giant cobra in front of him. Like the hood of this snake is as big as his head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just hope it's not the last time. And then he blasts that thing. That's very satisfying, even though I wouldn't ever shoot a snake. No, but don't shoot there snakes. There is something uh, that I like about this action well, here. Well, as we've said, this is Stenbeck a, this is a magic yeah. snake. It's not a real well, snake. So. Yeah, these are magic snakes, yeah. <laughs> but I love how, like, Stenbeck, I mean, like, Stenbeck draws Ed Gray, and he's just kind of standing there like, bam, I'm going to shoot you, snake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he seems very, like, composed, even though, and, you know, Ms. Goat is in there, too. Composed. Yeah, she's, she's really like, good, well, too. He's the one, uh, Campbell's the one who's like, it's unnatural. But I think that's an interesting comment that they kind of drive that home. It's unnatural. It's impossible. So this is not a natural oh, scenario. Yes. These like snakes that. are not like, no, this is not normally. Good job. Really happening. I like so I, li- that. I like that he kind of drives that home of like, I, I feel like the the writer is going uh, to great lengths to remind the reader, please don't go out and start hurting snakes right. that you find. They're just <laughs> yeah, chilling. They're fine. They're they're they. We need snakes for the ecosystem. Please do not go murdering harmless snakes. So they're able to rush out of the cavern, and as they make it out, there's a rumbling sound, and then the whole thing like collapses in on itself. So we can't. They can't go back there any again. And just great work by Stenbeck here. I love Ms. Goat smacking away the snakes with her purse. I love the snake getting smashed with the rock, even though I wouldn't normally like we that. We don't like that. I, I, but I, I like the art is what I'm saying. Sure, sure. And she's like, what happened? A handful of snakes? That was like a coordinated attack of snakes. He's like, I can't see how you could describe it any other way. But on the credit side of the equation, it means that our investigations are getting somewhere to provoke that kind of response. I like, like how that's his results. logic. You yeah. Know what I mean? yeah. As soon as start, things start to get fucked up, that's how I know I'm I'm getting some good results here. And he's like, oh, I'm, let's go back to the surface. I've had quite enough of this for one day. But the I poor guy, yeah. Campbell, you know, in the last in the first issue, they were like, we got to get this thing open. It's supposed to be open in two days. And then now all this has happened. You could just see him back there like, what the shit? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Back at Gray's house, he journals. He realizes Jurescu is a formidable enemy in league with forces both powerful and ancient. It will be hard to locate him due to all the tunnels underground. Fortunately, we can call upon powerful forces ourselves, Gray says to himself. I did want to talk about the painting here. I I looked for a long time. I didn't know if it was a painting. I was going to say it was like a picture from when his time in his old west, when he was on the old mm-hmm. west. Yes, maybe it is a picture, Aubrey, because I was very disappointed I could not find this. I looked forever, but it does look like some of those rock formations that we saw in that story. Remember, they found some. Mm-hmm. They were in like Arizona yeah. or Tucson area. I mean, it could be a, a painting. It could be like an artist's depiction of his right. time there. Or yeah. Something. yeah. <laughs> But I'm so glad you caught that, Aubrey, because it did remind me of Lost and Gone Forever. And remember yeah. in that story, he made a very pivotal change where he was like, yeah. oh, yeah, I guess there are things outside of like just Christianity. And, yeah. you know, I have to be more accepting of other kind of things. Right. And there's more to yeah. this whole, you know, that was a very like big move for him. So I like the idea that in his That's house, cool. he's got something that kind of. Even if it's something that just reminds him of yeah. that 
Sure. Let me know if this is an actual painting, though. I found a lot that were close to it, sure. but uh, ultimately I couldn't find it. I have a feeling it's a real thing. Right. It's very specific. We cut to New Scotland Yard. New Scotland Yard is a metonym for the headquarters building of the Metropolitan Police, the territorial police force responsible for policing all 32 boroughs of London. The name derives from the location of the original Metropolitan Police headquarters at 4 Whitehall Place, which was near the rear entrance on a street called Great Scotland Yard. I like the office of this uh, police chief or, or whoever it is here. Too many skulls yeah. for me. There's some nice detail in there. Gray meets with the like head of police. T- I'm sorry. I like this little telephone, though. I love oh, this. yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. The head of police, he doesn't argue with Gray's authority, but he's bloody baffled by the conditions. <laughs> Gray wants the police to have a full-scale manhunt in the city's tunnels. Oh, wow. The police have only been informed that they are hunting a dangerous fugitive who has taken refuge below ground. I saw little to be gained in providing more detail than that. I cannot stand any movie or TV show or comic book where people are waiting around in the fucking sewer. Uh. (laughs) They are knee deep in shit and piss. Just all kinds of excrement. Horrific. Disgusting. I can't. I can't do it. Just wearing trousers. Yeah. Just your pants. Those pants are ruined. (laughs) Those are going in the trash. At least put some wellies on. They've been given uh, orders not to use their firearms, but instead to be equipped with wooden stakes and spears. For sake, man. The officers will be forced to comply, right? Yeah, they're probably going to die of diphtheria before they run into a vampire. (laughs) Exactly. Or some shit, man. Bacterial infections or some shit. God. So they go down there, they find a bunch of vagrants and people like that, but they don't really find... Jurescu after a week of searching. Anyway, they don't find him. They're not, he's not there. Look at this guy with all the tattoos and stuff. Yeah. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of tattoos, I got a, I got my shapes tattoo. You got your shapes tattoo. I got my shapes tattoo. It's, oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's all melty right now and it's still, you know, healing and all this. Uh, So I'll I'll try and get a good picture a couple weeks. We'll have to get some good pictures of that when you get a chance. uh, Yeah. All healed up. I'm scheduled to get mine too, but that hasn't happened just yet. So. Excellent artists. They are a fantastic artist. Bittertooth on Instagram. Look them up and follow them. Hey, if you're anywhere in Houston or if you feel like traveling, I mean, they are they are really good. But they they don't open up bookings very often, so you got to watch the Instagram. Yeah, for yeah. That. But uh, yeah, just fantastic stuff. So awesome! I can't wait to post pictures of your tattoo. Well, Great I can't job. wait to see your tattoo. It's going to be good. Yeah. Where'd you uh, Where'd you get it? It's a It's on the leg. I got it. I got a lot of good real estate down there right now. So nice. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it's well. I can't wait till it heals up. Yeah, it's currently in the uh, somewhat itchy phase. So I'm <laughs> being, yeah, you have to be patient and, and wait for it to awesome. heal up. Wait for it to stop looking all <clears throat> melty. While the police are searching, Gray is back at the museum researching. This one panel, the the middle panel. I just stared at this for a long time oh, because yeah, nice. the way that Michelle uh, Madsen uses light yes. in her coloring. It was, it, it's just so impressive. And I, I could feel like I was actually yeah. there in that building with those giant windows and the sun pouring in. It, it, it's very beautiful. Yes, really impressive. Really Look at beautiful. the line work, too. I, agree, I mean, absolutely. Stenbeck's line oh, work yeah. is just meticulous and all these, God. But yeah, the lighting is, is, and it's, I mean, it's better than a photo. It's, you really get the feel of it, of how it would yeah. feel to be there. Really nice. Yeah. And and I, I've actually really been enjoying her color work oh, in, yeah. this, in this book. It's it's just been amazing. 
Yeah, I'm glad. Um, God, which listener was it that mentioned Stenbeck doing the ink wash? You know, I think that her color style really complements Absolutely. That. It's great it, to find a good oh, yeah. team that work together. So Gray's checking out the relief that Miss Goad traced. Ah, there it is, he says. He comes across the goddess Selene. Oh, in shit. Greek, in Greek mythology, Selene is the goddess of the moon. She drives her moon chariot across the heavens. Selene was also identified with Artemis, much like her brother Helios was identified with Apollo. Selene and Artemis are also associated with Hecate, and all three are regarded as moon and lunar goddesses. But only Selene was regarded as the personification of the moon itself. Often conflated with the Roman goddess Trivia, goddess of the crossroads. That's right. And so thank you for that, Danielle. Oh. Trivia. Well, no, it's right here. But She's the Roman equivalent of the Greek goddess Hecate. Yeah. She was an underworld titan. As part of her role as an underworld goddess, she became known as the queen of the ghosts. Mm. Yeah. And so Ed Gray's tying this all together. We got the triple goddess here. So I think that's supposed to be Selene. Artemis and Hecate. It takes a right? lot for him to make this face to get him to yeah. change to get this man to change yeah. his facial expression. There let alone for it to be the this size extreme. Of his head coming at him, and he's Nothing, not even not faced. <laughs> but not for, phased at all. For him to make this face, I feel like that's, and I think that that's Im- excellent storytelling, right? Because you know he's been you know stone faced this whole time. He's had the same facial expression. Yeah. He's bored. He's cynical. All the stuff up until now, and I think that's really effective for this moment when you're like, oh, shit, so this guy is concerned. I should be concerned. It's a big payoff. I love that shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's that's good storytelling yeah. by our artists here. Fantastic stuff. So we turned the page, and I got to admit, I saw this page, and I was like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, come on. Are you serious? <laughs> I got to look up all this stuff. Oh, There's man. incredible detail in these flyers yeah, by Stenbeck and Madsen. So, Not to mention the next you got pear soap, chicory extract. But yeah, let's look at the posters. This yeah, is a lot of stuff. I can see. I can absolutely see being like, oh, man. I felt uh, like Job on Arrested yes. Development when he does that. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Um, so we see a flyer that says Norton's Pub. I found a Norton's pub in Australia, but I couldn't find one in London. They talk about French curls. There were very unsafe curling irons that were available in the 1800s, and the hairstyle was very popular. The Empire, one of them says the Empire. I'm not really sure what that's a reference to. Star Wars. (laughs) It might be that. (laughs) There was a newspaper called the Empire in the 1800s, but it was from Australia, so another Australian reference. A fat child is a healthy child tonic, uh, which I thought was hilarious. Having rolls of fat was considered beautiful and a sign of good health at the time. We see a flyer for Baldwin's Nerve Tonic. That was a real thing. From the actual label, it says it helps with neurologia, sciatica, nervous headache, debility, want of sleep, bad dreams, palpitations of the heart, and hysteria. We also see Pear's Soap. Pear's Transparent Soap is a brand of soap that was first produced and sold in 1807 by Andrew Pears at a factory just off Oxford Street in London, England. It was the world's first mass-market translucent soap. Products under Pears brand are currently manufactured only in India for global distribution, so you can still buy Pears Soap. J. Lyons & Co., that's the Lion's Chicory Extract that we see here. There was a popular tea maker at the time. They went on to make hot chocolate. And the company made products until the late 1980s. There's one that says Seance Wanbrus. 
I don't know what that is. I couldn't find a reference to that. We know that seances have been featured in these stories before. Tower Blackpool. Blackpool Tower is a tourist attraction in Blackpool, Lancashire, England, which was opened to the public in 14 May 1894. When it opened, it was the tallest man-made structure in the British Empire, inspired by the Eiffel Tower. Blackpool Tower is also the common name for the tower buildings and entertainment complex in a red brick three-story block that comprises the tower, the tower circus, the tower ballroom, and roof gardens. We see a flyer for Juniper Tea. Juniper berries have a long tradition as a medicinal plant. For instance, juniper berries have been proven to help with suddenly swollen joints against urinary tract infections, colds, and cough. So those were all the references that I could find in these flyers. But yeah, incredible. I love this. Um, it just really... I think we've seen a wall like this in in the service of angels too and it just really adds so much atmosphere to see like all the flyers up like that i really like that shot yeah it's really cool gray witnesses a perch snatching and does nothing <laughs> he just watches it happen <laughs> he's just thinking to himself they have to find jurescu they will have to worry about more than oh gray says to himself totally nonplussed at a giant bat bearing down on him <laughs> so he takes out his gun there's some great work over the next couple pages of the bat flying by and gray shooting at it again some uh, awesome color work by michelle Matson on these panels gray's like reaction and his whole thing is just like Ugh, another giant bat yeah <laughs> exactly i love this panel where it focuses in on the bat's face that is so cool ben stenbeck has such an oh nice yeah style with like anything that has a monster element. I just want to point out that I think bats are cute and adorable. Yes, you know what? Bats are <laughs> super cute and adorable. And also, please don't shoot or hurt bats. <laughs> They're fantastic it, and amazing. And, unless it's like a, a dude turned into a giant monster. That is okay. Yeah, exa <laughs> again, exactly. If it's a, a magic situation like this. Uh, They're just so cute. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but this giant bat, it turns into Jurescu. Oh, shit. He's a Dracula. And he does the witch finder thing. Witch finder. Witch finder. He sure does. Well, he sure does. <laughs> he does. Yeah. I love his outfit. He's all. He's got the skull and yeah. crossbones. It's a very like Mignola skull there. It's again. I mean, again, we've pointed this out in the past, but it's very Lemmy esque here. Oh yeah, we did talk about. Yeah. He does look like Lemmy a lot. He's got that style. Did you also mention that he shot him with silver bullets? Oh right. Yeah, yes. he talks about the silver. He mentions that sting. it's the silver. Yeah. Yeah. And Ed Gray comes at him with the stake, this right? This line, I feel like it's too long of a dialogue to be ru running at someone to be trying to stab them. I feel like, okay, not only can I, you're announcing what you're going to do and how you're going to, you're, I mean, it's a lot of, it's just, it's too much dialogue to be running at someone mm -hmm. to try and attack them. Okay. It's kind of like if you said all this and tried to run at me, be like, okay, well, you just, I mean, you give me plenty <laughs> of time to dodge this or counter this or whatever. Like, right. I don't know. It's just, it seems like a lot. Yeah. And, and Drescu is able to deflect it a little bit, right? A lot of bit. And he goes back on top of the lamppost, which, which I thought was really cool He's as the little, man, yeah. though. You know what I mean? First, he's yeah. on there as the bat. He's like a little monkey guy. I like when Ed Gray tries to stab him. He's like, he gives him like, a, he works on his own catchphrase. He's like, how about six inches of stout English oh, through your chest? <laughs> it's a, again, it's a lot. It's very wordy for someone who's running at a guy with a stake. Jurescu says, have a care, witch finder. You court damnation by tormenting my mistress. 
I would simply kill you, but she would show you that there are fates far worse than death. I love have a care, witchfinder. That's a nice little, I like that little phrasing right there. But again, this is like alluding to what's eventually going to happen to Ed Gray. And, he's at, and he actually is going to have interactions with Hecate down the line. Back at St. John of the Cross Police Station, Gray explains what just happened to Mr. Silk. Go Dr. Lewis and Dr. Manley, and they all listen. Gray wants the police to check the area where he just fought Jurescu, and he's pissed that they've called off the search after one day. Mr. Silk says the police are calling all this a wild goose chase. Many of the officers have taken ill from bad underground air, and two never checked in. Bad underground air. Fucking bacterial the, infections. <laughs> the, the, the shit in the water. Yeah, you mean wading through shit? Yeah. Yeah, that's likely to make you sick. So when they mention that two of the officers have gone missing, Gray's like, well, where did they go missing? Probably while they were wading through knee-deep shit. <laughs> back in his room, Gray journals. The police don't have his back, so he's going to take matters into his own hands. Putting on his jacket very slowly yeah i love his kit here his vampire hunting kit he's got like all the stakes in there one looks like it was made like from a bedpost it's got that little knob at the top right there's like some little containers that probably have like holy water in them and stuff like that i like all that he's got a bandolier of stakes yes i know very goofy very goofy and bailey comes over to ask him for his plans for dinner and he's like oh i have other plans and if they do not succeed she won't need to worry about dinner ever again. Oh, he looks so sad. <laughs> Bailey's in this like, last oh, panel. <laughs> he looks so sad. Uh, so then we see Gray going into the underground tunnels. This is so fucking badass. And Stenbeck and Madsen do amazing work, like with the lamp. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the lighting is oh, so yeah. cool. Absolutely. I yeah. really love this as Ed Gray is going into these underground tunnels. It's really nice work. And at least he's not stepping into the water. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even so, okay, <laughs> oh, he no, has there he is. one panel. There's one <laughs> panel where he is in there. And so it makes me think that he's in there very briefly just to get from one area to another. And also he's wearing knee high boots. There we go. Which is, you know what I mean? If you're going to be stepping in a place like that and it comes up to his ankles so it's not like he's wading through there. So it's a little bit better. Still awful, but, you know, I feel like he went prepared at least with these boots. These And a really cool double splash page, yeah, too. I had yeah. to zoom in and look at all Absolutely. the details in here. There's, like, signs that say Whitechapel. And Gray's like, oh, the rivers, the sewer lines converge here. This should do nicely. You would have done better to stay at home, Witchfinder. We see Jurescu there. He's got all his vampire horde with him. The end would still have come for you as it will for all mankind. That much is inevitable. At least you could have spent what little time remains to you in relative comfort like the rest of the docile sheep above. Big talk. (laughs) Big talk from this guy who ultimately achieved nothing. And so, yeah, now they're closing in on Grey. And so that's how that issue ends. Outstanding cover here. I love this cover with Jurescu by Tedesco. So awesome. Oh, yeah got some lemmy vibes here right good use of red i like it oh yeah yeah so here they're kind of facing off gray's like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna stop you he's not scared at all by all the vampires coming in yeah jurescu kind of lays out his whole plan he does his villain monologue (laughs) saying of you know what they're all gonna accomplish they're gonna get men and women and raise them up among the sheep and we see all the graveyards here, so this kind of reminds me of Pickens County Horror. We know that there's a bunch of vampires there. The Age of Men will come to an end, 
as the world is swept clean with fire and blood, and darkness will forever after reign. And so fire and blood, that kind of reminds me of, you know, what actually does happen in... Ah, uh, true. That, oh, that is what... That's literally yeah. what happens. Nice. Yeah, but uh, not the way that they were expecting. Exactly. No, yes. right, yeah. And so he says, like, so many years spent in preparation, so many pieces carefully put in place. And this makes me think, like, yes, and it's all going to be for nothing because yeah. y'all are going to wait <laughs> underground for too long. That's so funny. He overslept. <laughs> you shouldn't have hit snooze so many times. Imagine. <laughs> Can you imagine? And uh, and there's some great work here as we see, like, it's cutting to just different scenes of how this is going to play out. I like seeing all that. And Jurescu's like, how could you possibly pose a threat to any of that and gray's like well i didn't come alone here's the big reveal right yeah. he's got all the helioptic brotherhood people here right. which i thought was kind of surprising because he hates these guys yeah right? but you know it's, yeah uh, but the it's really cool of my enemy is my friend exactly and we've talked so many times like over and over just come up like bad guys aren't really bad and good guys aren't really yeah. good and like we've learned to hate the heliopic brotherhood but if this was a movie like people would cheer sure when they turn oh, on yeah. all the lights the and everything they've got all their you know their laser weapons or whatever we've seen like they have these spears i mean you can cheer if you want like Cattle prod type thing. Yeah, yeah, the cattle prods. And so they power up. They've been in the dark all this time. That's why we couldn't see them. And I love they've got like these big dudes too. They've got like the regular dudes, but then they've got like these big bulky guys. And they set this thing to midday sun equivalency. To make sure you can see all the turds. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That is really cool. It just starts burning up all the vampires. No, that's good. Yeah, that's very clever and handy to have. And so Gray's like, you know, Mad King George did a deal with the devil to make all this happen. And now I'm I'm forced to deal with devils, too, to make it right. I love this action with the Heliopic Brotherhood with their, like, spears and all that stuff against the vampires. And then while all this is going on, Gray and Jurescu get to face off, too. Right, yeah. It's a good little page where they're all, like you said, they're all facing off. Yeah, it's like fire at will. You see both sides coming together. That is so awesome. Good color. Yeah. Good color. They're all fighting among the poop and pee. They sure are. They sure are. (laughs) Definitely. Dress. I, at the bottom panel, I like uh, I like anything. I'm, I'm such a sucker for this. For if there's red light on this side and blue light on this side, it's been used a lot in various here and there. But I'm such a sucker for it every time I see it anywhere I see it. It's my favorite extreme lighting. Yeah, I, I like, like that, that a lot. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, what can you say? Most of this issue is the action going on here, and we see like Heliopic Brotherhood people are getting taken out, but then most of these yeah. vampires are getting taken out too. I tend to skip past if people's spines are being ripped out and things like that. But oh, I know God. there are a lot of people who appreciate that, so feel free to. <laughs> I tend to, I tend to kind of yeah, breeze past stuff like that. This part where the dude's spine gets ripped out by his this vampire's yeah. teeth is you got amazing. Really gory shit going on yeah. here. People's eyes being shot out of their heads. Um, but on the previous page, I do like how. One guy shocks him, and then the other one comes and stabs him. Like they're working they're together. They're working together here. Yeah. You know what I mean? They've got like a they've got a little bit of a routine here or a plan. And then this one's just great, where they put it through the dude's mouth and blow out the back of his head. <laughs> you gotta love that. And like he's like, oh. bite this. <laughs> ah, all right, that's all cool. Right. That's cool. Oh man. We see a little bit of Jurescu's uh, healing factor here too. Yeah, you know, interesting. 
Um, it's very fast. He gets shot in the face. Yeah. And then he turns around and looks at Gray with half a face. And that reminded me of when they shoot Rasputin in the face. Right. And he turns around and he's got a big hole and he has like that word bubble with just like a sigil in it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do like there's that progression with the healing factor, just like Danielle pointed out. That's really cool. And Jurescu says, nothing that Gray does will matter. They already lost. Yeah, so Gray's like, your army's not so large anymore. And we see above ground Liam Neeson. Look at this Rachel Ghoul looking motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> August Swain. Is that's that a who Liam Neeson? That's where we cast Liam Neeson. Awesome. And Tefnut Trionis. They have another team that There's are all digging these guys, up yeah. all the coffins and just stabbing them. That is really cool, too. So not only, <laughs> you know, they've got the ties. battle underground, but Gray's covered his bases. He's like, oh, we're going to dig up all these things and just stake them, yeah, too. Yeah, bro. Yeah, I, I was like, man, that that's really well thought out. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and you I got like these that. fucking guys over here. Look at these fucking guys. I like how. Liam Neeson, August Swain is like, gruesome business this, but with any luck, we'll be done with it by afternoon tea. <laughs> there you go. They can all have their tea they and cakes with it, Mr. Yeah. Silk, yeah. Or just a regular meal, as we've come to learn. <laughs> so when Gray, Gray tells Drescu all this, you're, you're over, you're finished, all your dreams of an empire dies today. And then Jurescu, like, there's a very monstrous a panel. Face. Yeah, he's like, and now you're an animal. You're not even, you're less than an animal. And your followers are finished. So they have their final kind of face-off here. Jurescu throws Ed Gray aside, and then he's going to pounce on him, and Ed Gray gets the stake up at the last minute, and he, like, impales him on there. Got him. Yeah, I was surprised by this because I we know Jurescu's going to still come back. Sure, right. So I was yeah. like, I was surprised to see that Ed Gray actually stakes him through. Yeah, it's a fake out though. I mean, he he rides around in a river of piss and shit yeah. for a while. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I guess yeah. And I love this. Ed Gray is like, I may be merely a man, but I am well practiced in putting down vermin and pests. Mundane or otherwise. Yeah. The sun will Ooh. never set on the British Empire. Darkness will never reign. Thoroughly unimpressed with this guy. Yeah. This Very jockey. cool. <laughs> Very cool. And Jurescu falls into all the poop and pee Ugh. of all the people of London. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. So then the Helioptic Brotherhood guy comes up and they like reconcile a little bit. They're like, oh, the price was heavy, but it was worth it. We see, you know, all the casualties on both sides. Yeah. And all the work by Stenbeck and Madsen has been amazing over these panels. Oh, um, yeah. I really enjoyed this issue. It was just mostly like the action and stuff. It was very, it just moved really well through the issue. At the end, August Swain, a.k.a. Liam Neeson, he's <laughs> like, hey, you know. This was a complete success. And, right. Talking, you to, know, talking to Christian Bale or Keanu Reeves. There you go. Yeah. Prefer in this role. Swain is like, this is why the Brotherhood exists, to shine a light into dark places. Perhaps now that we're on better footing, you might consider joining us. Come hang out with us. And Gray's like, do not mistake pragmatic necessity for a change of heart. The enemy of my enemy is not my friend. Though we might momentarily find common cause, today does not absolve any of the sins you have committed in the past, or any you might commit in the future. In the end, I will hold you to account. He fucking does. And he does. He exactly. fucking does. Yeah, right. And Tefnut Trionis comes over, and she says... In the future, the end will be merely the beginning. That is also true. Ancient monsters that yet slumber beneath the earth will waken, and the sun will set on the day of man. 
There will be death and fire and blood, and the works of man will be wiped away. Larzad has shown me. But man's future lies beneath the earth as well. Whoa. And even August Swain is surprised by this piece. He's right. like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't know that part. Yeah, she's already wait. like, hey, we got to go underground. And everyone's like, oh, okay. He's what? like, wait, so we're yeah. supposed to get the hand and then what? We all die, I guess? Yeah. And which, is, which is what happens. Sure. We must go underground if we are to survive. Yeah. We cut back to Ed Gray's place. And I love, he's so relaxed. Yeah, he's got he's the so tie. Chill. This is the first time we, I, I love the posture, the body yeah. pose that Stenbeck decided on here. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm writing my letter to the queen. There's a voice behind him. There are dark days ahead. And there's like a green tint too, which kind of reminded oh, me yeah, of Hecate. Oh yeah, makes it kind of magic-y. Oh, it's you, Gray says. And we see Mothlomi again, but now he's in his like, what we're used to seeing him as, not in that fancy I love this coat. Uh, yeah. darker days yeah. than you can possibly imagine. Oh, splendid. Yeah. Very sarcastic <laughs> tone. I love it. Mothlomi says, today you push back the darkness for a time, but the end can only be postponed, not avoided. And Gray's like, listen, old man, your counsel was useful. I'll be the first to admit, but must But I'm you... tired of this crap. Yeah. <laughs> tired of this crap. Why did you insist I was the only one capable of stopping Jurascu? It isn't a matter of being capable, Muslomi says. I said that you must be the one to prevent the great evil from awakening. There was a lesson for you to learn. One that you will need in the coming days. Very serious here. Yeah. And then he stamps his yeah. staff on the ground and that kind of snaps it out of it. I like that. That's that's rad. I said that you must be the one to prevent the great evil from awakening. Great color work here. So what is that? You know what I mean? What does he mean by that? Let's throw that to our uh, book club members. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to get a bunch yeah. of different um, points of view on that. And I like the, uh, he's stretching here. And he sees the bell. Yeah, Mothlomi left his bell left his behind bell. for him. You know, Mothlomi gave that bell to Hellboy, too, right. in The Third Wish. I think maybe he's got more than one. He's got, like, a box of them at home. I yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's, like, an interdimensional thing. Like, yeah. this bell can be several places and times all at once kind of a deal. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love Stenbeck's version of it, too. So, yeah, this left me wondering... Oh, yeah. Is Mothlomi talking about the vampires? Is he talking about Hecate? Is he talking about, you know, the end of the world or Rasputin, right? Vivara. So what does he really mean here? The great evil from Awakening. Because we know that Grey is going to play a, a, a big part in the end game too. Yeah. On this last page, the Tower of London. Marlena gets a line. We get the ravens, yeah. right? The goddess sleeps but stirs in her slumber. When she wakes, darkness reigns, the other raven says. Red. And we see a golden dragon. Uh. So we've seen golden dragons so many times. Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus. We saw the gold dragons that Liz conjured up in the Black Goddess BPRD. So yeah, I love that imagery there too. And just again, Senbeck has been knocking out of the park with the reliefs and the yeah. work on this. And all the ones that we've seen previous have been like people getting eaten by monsters and all this kind of stuff. And then this one at the end is just so beautiful yeah. and it kind of... Even though the dialogue is... Very stylistic here. Yeah, the dialogue is, when she wakes, darkness reigns. It's very fore foreboding, but I found that image to be kind of, yeah. I don't know, comforting. The gold dragons. Well, and I like the uh, that we close out with a big shot of the full moon here. That's nice. Oh, right. So, yes, yeah. we're talking about Selene, the goddess of the moon. So, and yeah, Hecate, that definitely plays in yeah. with Hecate and everything. Good. So, Good stuff. very cool. Yeah. 
Um, really cool sketchbook section. I do want to talk about this. We have some notes by Tedesco and Stenbeck. Tedesco talks about um, he mostly does superhero covers. Uh, if you're familiar with his work, he doesn't do a lot of interiors, which is really, you know, it was really amazing that they got him for modern Prometheus back in the be- in the Hell on Earth books. But he mostly does superhero covers, and he talks about how much he likes doing the dark, somber Witchfinder stuff for this series. Got to stretch his legs a little bit there. Yeah, and I love the concept work. I always love seeing those. And then we see like the actual roughs and the pencils for the cover one, which are just incredible to look at. And we get different versions of the covers, too. I always love seeing these. Tedesco talks about he wishes this one cover in the corner had been picked. And we also get some great concepts of his issue five cover. Um, We also have some notes from Stenbeck. He talks about the gray tone. When I first started out, I was going to be the gray tone comic art guy. But people (laughs) told me I'd never get work because it takes so long. So I gave up on that. Then when I got asked to draw this story, I thought, well, if they let Tyler use gray tone for the previous volume, Mystery of Unland, I'm going to go ahead and do it too. I was really out of practice working with gray tone. I think I only got it to start working somewhere around issue four, but it was fun to do. I think I did experiments with watercolor and special paper, but in the end opted for a digital watercolor brush. Looks good. That was very fast. Only took about an hour or two for each page. Wow, that is That's incredible. And I love the samples here. It's that scene with Ed Gray and Wathlomi. Um, just really cool to see just the gray tone by itself. And like we were talking yeah. about, you know, they've obviously found an excellent colorist who worked really well with his style and his art. Yeah, awesome. I mean, this scene with the Raven Master, it's compare great. it with the colored version. Uh, Madsen is doing a lot of the heavy lifting there, but she's definitely playing off what Stenbeck Which is, has I mean, laid down. It's really nice. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. that takes a lot of skill, I think. Yeah, cool. So I loved this one. I hadn't read this one, so I was really excited. Um, always excited to get into Ed Gray stuff. I've really been enjoying it. And Stenbeck is just so awesome. Michelle Madsen did a great job with this. And uh, so what do you guys think of this Witchfinder story Hell compared yeah. to some of the other ones that we've read? Oh yeah. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always it's always fun to see Jurescu get his ass handed to him. Yeah. yeah. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Very cool. Awesome. Well, like Witch I find her going on his little capers. Yeah, stuff. yeah. And I love his little cast of characters, like yeah, I said last absolutely. week. So I'm excited to see where this series takes us next. And I can't wait to listen to all of the feedback and keep those intros coming in, keep those audio clips, everything. Follow us on social media and send us plenty of Hey You Damn Guys. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. That was a really fun Witchfinder uh-huh. series three. Like we just said, we want to hear what you thought. Send us a Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Podbean website and our Facebook About section and our link trees on Instagram and Twitter. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Gotahan for the wonderful theme music. Thank you, Andrew Adair, for the Witchfinder theme. Oh, oh man, yeah. I listened to it Absolutely. a lot this past week. That's good. <laughs> thank you, Mark Trudell, for helping out with the reading order. Thank you, John, for being your badass self. And thank you, Danielle, for all your wonderful insight. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that about all that uh, dinosaur stuff. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Citra, wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are reading Witchfinder, <laughs> The Gates of Heaven, issues one and two. So, you know what to do. 
But at those issues, digital copies, omnibuses, I don't, it's not an omnibus yet for him, is it? No. Done. Then go to the future, get the omnibus, nice. and bring one to me. That would be nice. <laughs> and join us on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm a Dracula. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, Witchfinder. now we're getting somewhere. Nice. Happy birthday, Craig. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. not my particular hinkle pink.